Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello there, guys. Thomas here, and today I'm bringing you another article narration from the College Info Geek blog. This is yet another article written by my good friend Ransom Patterson, and this article is called Cultivate Creativity to Study Better and Dominate Assignments. It's an article about why creativity is an essential skill no matter what your major is, and it talks about how you can start to build the skill, yes, skill, of working creatively. So enjoy this narration. If you would like to read the full article over on collegeinfogeek.com, you can find it at collegeinfogeek.com slash cultivate dash creativity. And yes, I still do not have a proper page for article narrations. It's coming in the future, I promise. But well, it's August. We've got a lot of things going on, lots of really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. So keep your eyes peeled for that in the future. But for now, just enjoy this article narration. What comes to mind when you hear the word creativity? Maybe a a painter toiling away at a canvas into the wee hours of the morning? Or maybe a composer spending hours and hours on a new piece until it's absolutely perfect? Or maybe an actor bringing an audience to tears with the right word delivered at just the right time? Or how about your final project you have due in your intro to anthropology class? Now, I don't know about you, but if you'd asked me a couple of years ago if creativity had anything to do with my coursework, I probably would have said something along the lines of, well, sure, but only if you have a creative major like art or dance or music or drama, certainly not my major. What I've realized lately, though, is that my assumptions were completely wrong. Creativity absolutely has a place in your studies, no matter what your major is. To excel at college-level work, you have to be able to think creatively. But what exactly is creativity? Well, like love and the perfect recipe for a burrito, creativity is a difficult thing to nail down. Of course, that hasn't stopped scientists from trying in the slightest, and as neuroscientist and psychiatrist Nancy C. Andresen explains, attempts to study creativity usually fall into two categories, little c and big c. Now, little c refers to the kind of research that attempts to quantitatively measure creativity. One popular way of doing this is to give subjects tests on divergent thinking. Andreessen defines divergent thinking as the ability to come up with many different responses to carefully selected questions or probes. This is in contrast with convergent thinking, which is the ability to come up with the correct answer to problems that have only one answer. Now, a classic test of divergent thinking would be to ask people things such as, how many uses can you think of for a brick? The idea is that the more uses a person can come up with, the more creative they are. But little c isn't the only method for studying creativity. As Andreessen explains, such tests are based on the assumption that creativity equals divergent thinking. This, she argues, is not necessarily the case, since there are equally creative achievements that are the result of convergent thinking. She cites the mathematical accomplishments of both Newton and Einstein as examples. 
Now, because of this discrepancy, many researchers also study the big C. And the big C approach starts with a group of people who are already recognized as being highly creative and then attempts to study them in order to reverse engineer a definition of creativity. Now, this approach has its own problems as well, since number one, it involves a completely subjective assessment of what creativity is to start with, and number two, it neglects all the highly creative individuals out there who just haven't been lucky enough to achieve wide recognition or who weren't selected for studies. And since science is still unsure how to exactly define and quantify creativity, I think that popular and philosophical definitions of creativity are just as helpful. Now, my favorite definition comes from the author Denise Shikurgeon, who defines creativity as the idea of connecting two unrelated things in an efficient way. Shikurgeon's definition gets the idea that creativity is something inherently wondrous, and even magical. It's the surprise that comes when you or someone else notices and articulates an unlikely connection. With all that being said, is creativity something that you can learn and practice? Well, absolutely. Creativity is hard, don't get me wrong, but it is a skill that you can cultivate. You just need the right approach and mindset. And most importantly, you have to be able to look at creativity not as some sort of treasure on a pedestal that can be reached out and taken. As the writer James Clear put it, creativity is a process, not an event. Now before we dive into the particulars of that process though, let's first discuss why exactly it matters so much to the work you do at school. Now there's a lot that could be said here, but I think the most compelling reason is that creativity is absolutely crucial to good learning. Non-creative practices, like rote memorization, will only get you so far. Now, when you were in high school, it was probably enough just to read the textbook and take notes on the lectures and then memorize the appropriate facts and terms. If you did it even that much, you were usually guaranteed a pretty good grade. In college, however, that is not going to be enough. Sure, you might be able to get through your first couple of semesters just by regurgitating the facts, but... To excel in any of the higher level courses, you need to be able to think creatively. Higher level courses ask you to think outside the box and to go beyond the surface level. For instance, let's say that your philosophy professor assigns you to write a paper on the meaning of life. Well, if you want to do well, it's not enough to write a paper summarizing the opinions of different academics on that particular topic. This will get you part of the way, but to make your paper shine, you need to comment on and critique the existing arguments, integrating them into your own original answer. Activities such as this are inherently creative. Furthermore, creativity is essential if you want to distinguish yourself. This is true when you're in school and after you graduate as well. Devising creative solutions to novel problems helps you to stand out in a good way. Particularly as many work tasks become increasingly automated, creativity is a skill that will only become more valuable in the future. This is not to say, of course, that creativity can replace hard work. Deliberate practice is still essential to mastering your discipline, and nothing can replace putting in the hours, at least until our world becomes like the Matrix and you can just download jujitsu into your brain. And trust me, I'm waiting for it. Nonetheless, creativity can augment your learning in many different ways, and it can really help to benefit and complement your hours of deliberate practice. So what does a creative approach to studying look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, that depends on the type of work that you're doing. In general, the creative approach is best when you need to create new information, devise a novel solution, or retain a large number of complex facts. Let's look at this at a more granular and specific level, though. Of course, creative thinking works well for obviously creative projects that involve writing, drawing, dancing, painting, and music making, but it also applies in less obvious areas. For instance, 
Creative thinking is highly valuable when you're working on a math problem without a straightforward solution, or maybe with many solutions. Now, I can't claim to know much about math, and certainly not at a college level, so I'll defer to Kai Brunkala, a professor of mathematics at Walsh University. In a paper he wrote titled How to Increase Mathematical Creativity in Experiment, Brunkala argues that creativity is involved in three key areas of mathematics, abstraction, connection, and research. Quoting from the paper here, The creativity of abstraction concerns the creation of models that reflect the real world and can be solved with mathematical tools known to the individual. The creativity of connection is the realization that known mathematical tools can be applied to new problems, allowing problems to be viewed in a new way. Connections are also made when mathematical and other knowledge comes together to understand and solve problems from a variety of areas. The creativity of researching is the discovery of new mathematical tools that fit unsolved problems and add to the available tools for other users of mathematics. Now, going beyond math, creativity is also a skill utilized for memorizing large amounts of information. And a couple of examples of creative approaches to doing this include developing mnemonics and using what's called the method of loci. Now, a mnemonic is simply a device such as a pattern of letters, ideas, or associations that assists in remembering something. Really, they can be anything. A classic example is using homes to remember the names of the Great Lakes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. But mnemonics can also include stories and bizarre images. For instance, in his book Why Spanish is Easy, polyglot Benny Lewis describes how he used mnemonics to quickly memorize Spanish vocabulary. To memorize the Spanish verb caber, which is to fit in English, Benny came up with an image of a bear trying to fit into a taxi cab. Associations like this are so absurd that you're guaranteed to remember the word's meaning. As you can imagine, mnemonics are useful in dozens of fields, and with the right amount of creativity, you can devise a mnemonic to help you remember almost anything. Now, while mnemonics are great for most kinds of memorizing you'll need to do for school, sometimes you need to really pull out the big guns and memorize an absolutely absurd amount of information. Think of like all the muscles in the human body or the capital cities of every country in the world, etc. Now, if this is the case, then the method of loci may be the approach you need. Technically, the method of loci is actually a mnemonic device itself. It just takes things a bit further than your standard verbal mnemonics. To use this method, you first take a spatial environment that you're very familiar with. It could be anything, though I'd recommend using your childhood home since that's likely to be well established in your memory. Each location in the environment becomes a locus, a place associated with a specific category of thing you're trying to memorize. Within each locus, you then imagine ordinary objects and associate them with the information you need to remember. Taking your example of the capital cities of every country in the world, you would first need to decide how to divide the countries to correspond with the locations in your environment. The details will depend on your situation, but I might, for instance, decide that each room in my house is a geographic region or continent. From there, I could associate the country and capital with specific objects. So my kitchen might represent Eastern Europe, and within that I might associate Budapest, Hungary with my kitchen sink. You can see how going through this process will require lots and lots of creative thinking in order to be successful, but you can also see how it's clearly superior to just rote memorization techniques or even to just using standard flashcards. Now I'm just scratching the surface of creative memory techniques with these examples, so if you're curious to learn more, I would suggest starting with either the Wikipedia article on mnemonics or checking out the book Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Four. Also, it's important to note here that the more skill you have at working creatively, the more apt you're going to be at using these kinds of techniques. But how exactly do you go about practicing the skill of creativity? Sure, you could always adopt creative approaches in your new coursework, but 
If you don't want to risk your grades, there are plenty of other ways to practice being creative. You can do it in lots of different fields, and those skills all transfer to any other thing that you're doing. In addition, these are all great stress relievers, and many of them can help you make new friends. So here are just a few ideas for strengthening those creativity muscles outside of the classroom. You could get into fine art, painting, drawing, sculpting. This is one of the most obvious choices, yes, but that doesn't stop it from being an excellent way to develop creativity. You could also play word games like Scrabble or Bananagrams. Journaling, which is really, really beneficial in many different ways. In fact, Ransom wrote an entire article on it, which you can find linked in this blog post on the website. Music, you can play songs that have already been made, or you can write your own, even if they suck. And as a bonus, songs can be powerful mnemonics if you're trying to learn something. Uh, Physical movement. Now, there's not a lot of creativity in weightlifting or running, but activities such as dance and rock climbing and skateboarding, they blend creativity and skill building and physical exercise all into one big package. And in fact, Dr. John Rady points out that complex movements you have to learn in sports like this are incredibly effective at helping your brain generate new nerve cells, and just helping your brain make better connections. You could also go into drama, especially improv, and I absolutely guarantee your college has at least one improv group, so go check it out if you're curious. And also, drama is a great way to improve your public speaking abilities. You could also simply build things, become a DIYer, and if you're curious about this particular practice, there's a great YouTube channel called I Like to Make Stuff, where you can learn lots of different techniques and get started on many different projects. You could go into entrepreneurship, start your own business, or... And this one's a little bit uh, different, but you can give yourself constraints on the things you already do. Now, this is a bit more general, yes, but according to James Clear, who I quoted earlier, constraints are essential to fostering creativity. For instance, you could try to think of how many words you can create with a limited number of letters, or you could paint a picture with just one color, or you could learn to write with your non-dominant hand. And these are just a few ideas to get you started. I have no doubt that you'll find dozens more on your own. So to wrap up here, There's no manual for being creative. I can't hand you a map with two points marked on it, lack of creativity and abundance of creativity and a nice path marked in between. No one can do that for you. It's an inexact process that science itself still struggles to measure and quantify. However, the benefits of creativity, both in college and beyond, are undeniable. And as a result, you should absolutely make it a priority to practice creative work. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this narration, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, that sounded really good in my ears, and I think the text version would look even better going through my eyes, then you can go over to collegeinfokeek.com slash cultivate dash creativity to read the full article, which also has lots of links and extra resources you should check out. In fact, at the bottom of the post, Ransom has linked to a few books and other articles online that you can use to... Uh, go further with this topic. So definitely check it out. And if you liked this narration and if you enjoy the podcast altogether, one way you can support the show is by going to iTunes and giving the show a rating and review. Now, a bunch of you guys have done this recently and I really, truly appreciate it. It really makes me happy. So thank you so much to those of you who have already done so. And if you haven't yet and you would like to, it's really just a great way to support the show. It helps drive the show up the rankings, shows it to more people in iTunes and elsewhere, and just gives me feedback on what I'm doing right and doing wrong. So thank you so much if you do that. And other than that, Martin and I have a new podcast episode that'll be coming out in probably a couple of days. So definitely keep your eyes on your podcast app's feed if you indeed use a podcast app. And uh, other than that, thanks so much for listening and I will see you in that podcast episode. Stay cute.